look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you from our radio and television studios here in northwest Pennsylvania, live each and every weekday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, we are also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, and you can watch us on YouTube and glo- listen to us on Global Star Radio Archive, uh, Global Star Radio, and you can get the archives to the show uh, both on YouTube and through Blog Talk Radio. We have two separate websites for our radio and TV show, the Hagman and Hagman Report, as well as Hagman and ha- I'm sorry, Hagman Report and HagmanandHagman.com. We have a great show for you tonight. Paul McGuire is our guest. Paul is um, a friend of the program. His website is paulmcguire.us, folks, and he has a new radio show, the Paul McGuire Report, and that airs 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time uh, each and every weekday on Blog Talk Radio and as well as SoundCloud and, and many other uh, places to find it. If you go to his website, paulmcguire.us, you can find all the links to his radio show. We're going to be talking about a number of things tonight um, from the domestic issues that have been going on and the unrest that has been happening in the Middle East, the failed Turkey coup, and... Um, a lot of other things through the lens of, of Bible prophecy as we see it unfolding each day uh, right before our eyes. With that, I want to bring in our guest, Mr. Paul McGuire. Paul, it's great to have you back on the show. I know you just got back from the uh, Prophecy Watchers Conference in Colorado. How, how was the, the conference? Joe, it's great to be on your program again. And um, the conference at Prophecy Watchers was uh, outstanding. Uh, they had a lot of great speakers. Uh, I know most of them because I interviewed them for the TV show I do, Apocalypse and the End Times on God TV. But uh, really cutting-edge stuff. You know, um, 
with all these prophecy conferences, and you guys have been at a bunch of them, and I've been with you at a bunch of them. <clears throat> when when we first started, when I first started coming on your show, and we talked about prophecy, obviously it was of great interest to people. But it's becoming every every week, every month, it becomes more interesting because of what's going on in current events. I mean, in the three weeks to four weeks before I did that prophecy conference. There was the uh, attempted coup in Turkey. There was the, uh, the massacre in Nice. There was the, the, the Dallas uh, shooting by the gunman. Uh, you know, just stuff is stuff is exploding. And um, your program, of course, <clears throat> the Hagman and Hagman Report, which does both current events and uh, prophecy through people like me, you 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 capture all that. But you know, a lot of uh, the, the what I call the mainstream media, well, they call themselves the mainstream media, but the, the mainstream media operates at a disadvantage to programs like yours, the Hagman and Hagman Report, because they, they are completely biased against <clears throat> the reality of God in their news coverage and completely biased in terms of never covering or acknowledging Bible prophecy. It, their their coverage becomes almost ridiculous at at, at at times because there will be all these news events happening that clearly have either a prophetic uh, angle to them or uh, there's a there's a powerful spiritual truth that is should be obvious to people that is uh, very much a part of a, a current event and they have to bend over backwards and, and contort themselves upside down uh, in an effort not to, to to state the obvious, which that it has to do with God or a belief in God or Bible prophecy. Uh, a case in point would be um, the uh, Turkey, the so-called Turkey coup, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the idea that uh, the head of Turkey may well have uh, initiated the coup himself uh, so that he could consolidate uh, his Islamic power or his efforts at being an Islamic nation and establishing an Islamic caliphate and also to reinforce his ties with terrorist groups. Now, uh, the, the, the general mass media, unlike your program, kind of whitewashed that. They didn't really bring that out. In fact, most of them didn't even bring it out at all. But on your program, you brought it out. And I don't, I don't think you can understand what really happened in Turkey unless you understand Turkey's relationship to NATO, uh, Turkey's relationship to the European Union, Turkey's relationship to militant Islam, and then how this fits into, into Bible prophecy. So uh, we live in a time where uh, your program and uh, uh, messages that I have to bring and uh, messages that your your guests have to bring, we are bringing messages that you can't that without understanding the puzzle pieces that we bring to the table, you can't understand what's going on. In other words, um, there are so many dots that that the public is hungry uh, to have put together so that they can understand. But the media is deliberately not doing it. So when I go to these conferences and I meet people, and by the way, you and your dad should know that 
one of the most common uh, questions I get right up front at these Bible prophecy conferences that I speak at is, oh, I hear you on the Hagman and Hagman show all the time. So you have a, a huge fan base of people that attend these conferences and, and are regularly listening to your programs. But then they also will say to me, you know, Paul, tell us, tell us what you think is happening with Turkey or, or whatever it is, because they understand that the media is, is holding out on them and that the media is not connecting the dots and they're hungry to have those dots connected and that's why they're tuning in uh, to the Hagman and Hagrid report because you're offering stuff that is being censored in the media. I know I was long-winded, but I hope I got my message across. No, uh, you did very much so. And um, we had Stan Dale came back this week uh, onto our show. Uh, he usually comes on every Tuesday, and he took a break there before the conferences to get his lectures ready. And he mentioned the same thing, that there were a lot of uh, Hagman and Hagman listeners in the crowd, and that uh, he received a lot of comments about um, being on the show, and, and a lot of people who listened to us were uh, uh, coming up to him and letting him know that, that they hear him on our show on a regular basis and, and enjoyed it a lot. And uh, just can't say thank you enough to our audience members out there um, who do support our guests, whether it's uh, financial or, you know, with prayers, email, uh, spreading the word about their, their work, their radio shows, their books. Um, that's very important. And, um, you know, they're doing what they're they're supposed to do, and uh, that's helping spread the word about the, the truth, not only in the world today, but of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I, I can't thank them enough because it's uh, something really special that you don't see really anywhere else aside from a few shows that focus on uh, current events through the biblical perspective and the answer of Jesus Christ being the answer to all things um, that's lacking in most media shows today. Well, well, it is, because while I was at the conference, uh, they have a, a break room where you can get a snack or whatever in the hotel. At most of these conferences were... I speak at, uh, you know, the Bible prophecy conferences that I speak at. And so there's usually a giant screen that the hotel has on, and they have it on all the time, and it's usually tuned to CNN or Fox News Network. And, you know, Fox and CNN are going on and on about whatever they're going on and on about. But but you could you could switch channels. There's very little difference, if any, now between Fox and CNN. And then the other thing is they never probe uh, into the depths of something. So, so for example, um, the other night when uh, uh, Cruz was speaking and um, you know, the audience was booing him because it's just common courtesy and, and protocol that if you're invited to speak <clears throat> at, at any political convention and the uh, the, the nominee of the party is the one inviting you to speak and you have already agreed to endorse him because that's what is expected and then you use the time I don't know how long he was up there uh, you use the time to purely promote yourself and to promote perhaps some political uh, race you hope to enter in, in 2020 um, the audience perceive that as very, very rude, because it is rude. You don't promise mm -hmm. to endorse a candidate, not do it, and then he got booed and booed and booed. But the media, the media covered that part because they had to. But 
uh, CNN surprised me because they did say when uh, his wife Heidi Cruz was booed out of the room and, and one may say well why would Heidi Cruz be booed out of the room because when we started talking about this a year ago people didn't understand it but I know you and I and your father have done countless programs where we talked about Heidi Cruz being involved with the globalists, being involved in the North American Union, uh, being involved in the uh, Council on Foreign Relations uh, project to unify Canada, Mexico, and the United States. Heidi Cruz is a globalist. Uh, she has a globalist biography. She's globalist all over her. And the reason the audience booed her at the convention was they wanted her out. They didn't want a globalist. That's what they were saying. And so she had to run. And what was interesting uh, is some news anchor at CNN was the only one who made a comment. Everybody else censored it. He said, well, they're booing her because, you know, she's connected with Goldman Sachs, the, the international bankers. But what was also interesting was that they were booing her because of her, of her, the fact that she tends to be this big Christian, but in reality, she's a globalist. She's a, she's a one world government person. And the people, the people didn't like that. And they were booing her because they're not for globalism. They're not for a one world government. But you won't hear that. You won't hear that discussion anywhere except on a few programs. And one of those programs is yours. And I know that because we've discussed it for several years. You tune on your average, uh, uh, news media, they won't ever bring that up. It's, it, you know, you're not allowed to talk about it. So people are hung, hungry for truth and they want to know, uh, for example, they want to know the truth about Heidi Cruz's globalist international banking connections because both the Cruises spend a great deal of time, uh, um, telling everybody how, how committed and deep they are in terms of being Bible-believing Christians, and we hear endlessly about how Cruz's father is a minister, and uh, endlessly about their Christianity, and endlessly about how they're strict constitutionalists. Well, I'm not here to judge their personal faith in Christ, but they are globalists, and they are on the, the, they're on the side of the agenda of the international bankers, so I don't understand how you can be a committed Christian and be a globalist at the same time. But only programs like yours do you have the opportunity to even bring that up. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And one thing I saw in the wake of the, uh, just after the Baton Rouge shootings, I was, of the police officers, I was watching local Baton Rouge news coverage, and they bought a, they brought a priest on. And the priest was making some good points. He was a Catholic priest, um, and he kept referencing God. One thing I noticed is that he never mentioned Jesus um, mm. in his broadcast. In the broadcast, but it was already rare for you know to see the the, the pastor on there. That's uh, far and few between on any news shows nowadays. But this was the local show where tragedy had just struck, and um, they brought this pastor on, and he was making valid points. You know that everybody falls short of the glory, and everybody is a sinner and um you know laying that out but you know they never from what i listened to they never mentioned jesus they only kept saying you know god this god that and we see the removal of jesus from not only the uh, political world whether it's courthouses uh schools and whatnot but it's it's 
coming to a point where even churches today are are uh you know ref- not men- not mention mentioning Jesus and or propping up you know Mary and and all these um unbiblical ideas of Christianity that have been invented by man and it just seems that whether it's uh from churches to believers to uh, leaders in churches it is um just very sad to see the erosion of you know the biblical foundations and what is taught in the bible being taken away and with hillary clinton you know you have a a basically an admitted witch and you know my dad talks about the emails that came out how she mentioned sacrificing chickens to moloch in her backyard um, how it's come out from people who were her aides and advisors that she would fly to california on a monthly basis uh, to be part of some witch's coven and you know back to Ted Cruz we see that what you said that you know he took the stage at the RNC and uh was promoting you know the 2020 idea and said you know all of the people on the Republican side took the the pledge that they would not run third party and would uh support the eventual nominee mm-hmm. and several of them have not you know kept up their end of the bargain and a de- not that Donald Trump is our answer, not that he is, you know, um, going to do anything for the better, but we do know what Hillary Clinton will bring. And to see this divide among people, because Ted Cruz did not get the uh, nomination as he'd like, um, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the country. And um, for him to take the stage with his own selfish in- interest <clears throat> and not... Uh, as Laura Ingram said, it was like a bunch of young men uh, and little boys, you know, doing what they do best instead of uh, stepping up to the plate and doing what they're supposed to do. And it's just unfortunate to see this happen in a time when it's so important, uh, if we do have this next election, who becomes president? And more importantly, that it's not Hillary Clinton. Um, well, the, the, the thing that bothered me uh, about uh some of the stuff going on at the convention and surrounding the convention uh, has to do with um, a lack of integrity and also it reveals character because again the, the, the rule was okay the nominee who is Donald Trump whether you like it or not has invited you to speak at the convention uh, and uh, the rule is you're expected to endorse him so you, 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 you go back on uh, what you pledged to do because he pledged to endorse whoever the candidate was uh, earlier on. So there, there's an act, act of betrayal, and I think it reveals, it's, it's selfish, it lacks integrity, and I, I believe it, it's a real revealing of the true character of the individual doing that. Now, having, having said that, the same with Kasich. Uh, I know Kasich, by the way. I used to debate uh, on Fox News Network for, for whatever reason. <clears throat> uh, he and I used to appear on the Fox News Network all the time together. Uh, obviously, he would be uh, broadcast in from whatever state he was in, and I would be in the uh, Los Angeles studios. But we ended up a lot uh, talking about certain issues. He was always polite and a nice guy. And uh, what he's done uh, lately has really surprised me. So when he, uh, equally petty and vindictive, uh, and, and it does not speak well of him, 
because it, it, it betrays a lack of honor on his part, and it's also vindictive, and uh, it reveals a lot about his character for him to take the posture he's taken uh, uh, against Trump, uh, reveals a lot about his character, and doesn't speak well of his character. So you, you have that going on, and then you have uh, 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 Jeb Bush and George Bush, now, um, again, it has to do with character. Um, both of these men, Jeb Bush and George Bush, uh, uh, have spoken of for years publicly about how you're supposed to be loyal to the Republican Party no matter what, and you have to put the, the objectives of the Republican Party uh, above that of your own. I mean, they, they, they constantly spoke about that. And yet, both of them, especially Jeb Bush, uh, in a very mean-spirited way and in a way which is a, in a total contradiction to what they uh, were claiming, um, both refuse, not only refuse to, to, to endorse uh, um, Trump, but they attack the man. And it comes off as very cheap and vindictive, and it comes off like he's a sore loser. It's, it's, it's what, what we're seeing is the, the revealing of people's real characters real character and a lack of honor uh, that that you would expect from somebody uh, you really wouldn't expect it from a Kasich or even a Cruz or one of the Bushes you would expect a certain level of honor but I see no no honor I see a very vindictive and the only reason I can uh, imagine that they would behave that way was one is their egos were hurt because they were they were embarrassed in the debates but that's just the way it is. A debate is a debate. But the other thing is, um, they're globalists. Uh, Kasich is a globalist. Cruz is a globalist. And Bush is certainly a globalist. And then the other thing is, it's interesting that before uh, uh, Trump became the official nominee of the Republican Party, he was being attacked by numerous European leaders who are known globalists, one specifically is the head of the uh, uh, IMF, uh, Christine Lagarde. Uh, she's the one who's deeply involved in the occult. I, I write about her and her, her, her occult involvement and her economics in my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, 2016-2017. And ironically, I wrote about her in the earlier book, uh, A Prophecy of the Future of America. And um, for those of your listeners that may not remember, she gave several speeches. I have videos of them on my uh, website, paulmcguire.us. She gave several speeches to the Council on Foreign Relations and the National Press Club, where she spends about 75% of her speech talking about numerology, the occult, and then she spends about 25% talking about economics. So she's a hardcore occultist and globalist, and she's talking about a global financial reboot that is coming, which which is code for uh, we're going to crash the dollar as uh, the world's currency, and we're going to reboot the entire financial system and give you a new global currency, uh, a cashless society, and, and, eventually, and eventually you know, some kind of mark of the beast technology. So that's the game plan of the International Monetary Fund and the globalists. 
So isn't it interesting that she and other high-profile globalists, members of the Bilderberg group, and members of occultic groups, they're, they're all, they were all attacking Trump. They weren't attacking the other candidates. They were all attacking Trump, which tells you that the globalists perceive Trump as their greatest threat. And it also exposes the fact that the globalists are quite comfortable having the Bushes or the Kasich or uh, Cruz or some of the other people as candidates. The globalists are quite comfortable with that. The people that they're uncomfortable with are um, Trump. And what she said was specifically, she said it in the, I believe it was the uh, Financial Times of London, one of the most prestigious uh, economic uh, newspapers in the world. Christine Lagarde said that Trump would be bad for the global economy. Now, when she said that, I had to laugh. And this was, she said this a couple of weeks ago. I laughed yeah. because um, Trump being bad for the global economy, well, in the last 10 years, the elite have never gotten wealthier. And they, the, the elite have become more wealthy in the last 10 years than they ever have before. The middle class and the working class have lost more income than they ever have before in the last 10 years. So this is what Christine Lagarde and the globalists, I guess, consider an acceptable economy. For the elite to get richer, the middle class and the working class to get poorer, that's fine. So Trump must be a threat to that, the status quo. And so the only way you can interpret it is the reason she's upset about Trump is that, is that he is a threat to the elite's uh, game plan and monopoly over over finances, which is to make the middle class and the working class poor and the elite richer. Why why else would you criticize Trump? He's the only one that the globalists perceive to be their threat. The other ones, the globalists perceive to be in on the game. They're part of the game. Absolutely, and you know what you said about the rich getting richer. Um, I don't remember the exact statistics, but the uh, top one percent of the one percent uh, has accumulated more than half the the world's wealth, and we see the middle class and uh, the other classes here in America continuing to take hits, and uh, you know taxes being raised, the national debts increasing, and the especially with the new trade agreements that are on the table, they're looking to finish their globalization of, of trade and lock in the global economy through these trade deals. And we, we see that them talking about rolling out a global digital currency and creating the North American Union, like the European Union, and um, taking the economy into, a, like you said, a global reset, with the Hillary even saying she'll bring in and legalize millions more uh, of immigrants to uh, make sure that her you know, one world order, their one world order, uh, continues to, to progress as they planned. Um, I wanted to ask you this, Paul, about Hillary Clinton and the, you know, apparent polls. I don't put much stock into polls, but throughout the last few months since, uh, we knew Trump was going to be the nominee, they have, uh, basically said that, you know, since then to now, Trump has gained maybe a seven point lead on Hillary and they're, they're very close. But, even with all the media hypocrisy and the backing of Hillary Clinton and the trashing of Trump, how can people support Hillary Clinton? 
I mean, is this ignorance or is this ignoring, uh, intentionally ignoring the the facts about her for and the disdain for Donald Trump that leads people to vote for her? There was a poll, 71% said they would still vote for her even if she was under indictment for the email scandal. And we know her track record uh, politically as well as uh, spiritually as, as you laid out. And who her and Ben Carson did a great job, you know, of calling her out for what she is, as she says Saul Alinsky was one of her, um, you know, heroes and mentors, and how Saul Alinsky's book Rules for Radicals was dedicated to Lucifer, the first radical. Um, how can people still vote for her? Is it out of ignorance, or is it out of willful ignorance? Um, I ask myself that question all the time, uh, because forgetting about politics for the moment, you know, uh, most people, not all people, but most people have some kind of ability to judge by a person's facial mannerisms, the look in their eyes, the way they carry themselves. Most people have some ability to judge whether or not somebody's evil or not. So, so if you're like a director of a feature film or a TV series, uh, you're a director or a casting director, or if you're an actor, um, a director knows what kind of person can play somebody who's evil, or what kind of actor or actress is able to to uh, manufacture the characteristics of somebody who's evil. So when you see an evil character on television or film, they they have certain characteristics. Now. Um, uh, many of the expressions, the facial expressions, and the way she carries herself, and her, and and the way her, uh, uh, the way she speaks, uh, she comes off as as uh, as evil. Uh, that, of course, is not uh, sufficient enough to, to determine whether she's evil. But she comes off as evil. So, if you were casting a casting director, casting a movie you would have to say, this is an evil character. She doesn't come off as trustworthy. So all the American people seem to agree, because the polls all agree, that uh, Hillary is not considered trustworthy by the vast majority of the American people, including people who are Democrats. Yet, at the same time, uh, she uh, enjoys uh, a majority vote in her party. Even though they don't think she's trustworthy, they're still going to vote for her. So I think this has to do with the fact that there are uh, a significant percentage of people uh, in the Democratic Party or any any person who would vote for Hillary Clinton that they they know she's not trustworthy because that's what the polls say, but they're willing to vote for her anyway because even though she's not trustworthy, um, she is the champion of whatever political or social agenda uh, that they want to see put forward, whether it's it's uh, uh, a feminist agenda or whether it's a pro-abortion agenda or whatever it is. She has a very precise list. Um, they're going to vote for her and ignore everything else because she is the champion of certain uh, agendas that they want in office. So you have a lot of people, for example, and this is very disturbing, uh, they did a poll of 150 of the uh, high-tech uh, entrepreneurs and the high-tech giants, and these people are 
somewhat younger than uh, the heads of other businesses, but they're the ones that run the software companies, the computer companies, and the high-tech companies. And uh, the vast majority of them are going to, and these individuals are not stupid, and they are perceptive, but the vast majority of them are going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And the reason they're going to vote for her is that she's going to further their globalist agenda uh, for their own personal and private economic expansion. And the other thing is, is that Hillary, Obama, and even uh, George Bush, uh, uh, at least for his last four years in office, Bush, Obama, and Hillary have been the darlings of Wall Street. They have uh, cut all kinds of deals that have caused the 1% to make phenomenal profits at the expense of the middle class and they're insiders with Wall Street and they've uh, created all kinds of deals that have caused the heads of Wall Street to make fortunes. I mean, the amount of money that the 1% have made over the last 10 years is an all-time record. We have, a, a not only in America, but in, in Europe also, the 1% um, literally seem to own the politicians in Europe, in Great Britain, in France, and America, and they have accumulated unprecedented wealth. They have become rich beyond belief, whereas simultaneously the middle class and the working class have become poorer and poorer because of these same policies. So I think uh, the elite class especially, and uh, any class that votes for her, they're willing to overlook uh, her evil attributes because she's pushing forward whatever their agenda is, pro-abortion or whatever it is. They're looking to, they, they'll look at, they, they will look the other way. And that's the problem. Now, uh, up until recently, uh, Bernie Sanders appeared to appeal to the honesty in the Democratic Party, especially among young people, and in, in complete contradiction to many of the establishment Republicans, Bernie Andrews uh, exposed, attacked uh, Wall Street uh, for their greed. He spoke against it, and he attacked and exposed all the trade treaties. Uh, and he was had far more integrity in attacking trade treaties in Wall Street than most of the establishment Republicans. Uh, but... Um, very recently, it appears that he has made some kind of deal with Hillary, and he has angered uh, because he's now become silent about Hillary's uh, being in uh, cahoots with Wall Street and the one percent. Um, a lot of his supporters, Bernie supporters, are, are furious and angry with him because they feel like he's betrayed them. So again, it comes down to we have a certain class of politicians that are doing what the globalists and the international bankers and the elite want, and we have uh, a smaller number of politicians in both parties that, that have whatever degree of integrity that have been exposing what the international bankers and the elite have been doing. Because a lot of people are, have never been poor. Uh, Health care, you could go down the list. Uh, a standard of living, health care, uh, the middle class and the working class is getting clobbered all over the world, but yet the rich are getting richer and richer and richer, and this has to do with the policies 
of politicians in Europe and in America that are deliberately favoring the elite because the elite are giving them enormous sums of money. They're funding their political campaign secretly. Absolutely. And to just continue briefly here on Hillary Clinton, um, you know, she is for, like you said, the globalist policies of net neutrality, the elimination of free speech, the elimination of the Second Amendment. Um, She wants to, you know, increase the number of, of illegal immigrants that come in this country. She wants to continue to undo the Constitution as the presidents before her have done. And um, she... I was listening to a radio show on my way here uh, to the studio where they mentioned in an interview she gave how she described herself as an early 20th century progressive. If you could, could you give our audience an idea of what that is? Well, I'm laughing because it sounds like the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life. Uh, She described herself as an early 20th century progressive, which is... Essentially, an early 20th century progressive uh, would be the equivalent today of being a, a moderate or perhaps a liberal Republican. So if you just substitute, substitute the words uh, 20th century progressive and you substitute the words liberal Republican by today's standards, that's essentially how she's defining herself. But that, but that is not who she is at all, because as you said in the earlier part of the program, um, and w- which I thought was one of the best speeches so far at the Republican National Convention, where Dr. Ben Carson really took the gloves off, wasn't mm-hmm. politically correct, and said it like it was. Uh, he exposed Hillary Clinton uh, by simply saying she's a disciple, which is true, of Saul Alinsky, who wrote a famous uh, a radical book called Rules for Radicals and in the the uh, preface of the book Saul Alinsky dedicates his book uh, because Saul Alinsky is a Marxist community organizer, he's a communist who believes in working in the local communities to, to foment a communist revolution, Saul Alinsky dedicates his book uh, to as what he says one of the world's first original radicals Lucifer, and so he he praises Lucifer for being one of the, the the world's first rebels and radicals, and he and he devotes his book to him. Now, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, Alinsky was really an atheist, and he's doing that as a tongue-in-cheek metaphor. Uh, I don't believe that. Uh, Karl Marx, the, the one of the co-authors of the Communist Manifesto was a practicing Satanist. He attended a satanic church. His sister was the priestess of a satanic church. Karl Marx was a Satanist, and uh, it wasn't a metaphor when, it, when we say he was a Satanist. He was a Satanist. And, and when you really study, and I've been doing a, an intensive study uh, uh, on airplanes lately, because I've been on planes going to conferences everywhere, I did an intensive study flying back and forth from the last conference on the relationship between the occult, uh, occultic mind control, and uh, uh, spy agencies like the CIA, British intelligence, and the KGB. 
and uh, oh, and, and and as I said, British intelligence and how they interface with Aleister Crowley, uh, Satanism, satanic rituals, is is often a part of the highest levels of intelligence, including K, the KGB, because the KGB always came off, uh, at least publicly, like they were atheists and they didn't believe in God or Satan, but secretly. Uh, many of the highest level communists were practicing Satanists, were involved in satanic rituals as Karl Marx was. So for um, Saul Alinsky to make that remark, um, it would be interesting to dig deeper into, to, into his hidden biography and really do an investigation deeper into his biography to see if indeed... Um, he had participation and involvement in Satanism and the occult. Because what I've found through researching all of my books, and I and I, you know, like like in a prophecy of the future of America, I found when I researched the lives of whether it's Adolf Hitler or Winston Churchill or high-level presidents of the in the United States or high-level people in intelligence agencies or MK Ultra or Monarch Mind Control or Aleister Crowley or we could go down the list, when you really dig into the biographies of some of these most powerful world leaders and uh, uh, leaders in the highest levels of intelligence agencies, you will often find that when you scratch beneath the surface publicly, uh, like the Fabian Socialists, uh, like H.G. Wells, who was a science fiction author, but he was also the head of British intelligence, Bertrand Russell, Aldous Huxley, all these guys pretended or said publicly they were atheists and they didn't believe in a devil or a god. But when you really dug into their backgrounds, that wasn't true. They were members of the Royal Psychic Society of London. They were involved in Satanism and satanic rituals and witchcraft, and they were deeply in the occult. So what I'm saying is that you will often find behind the scenes, and I have yet to do this with Alinsky, but I suspect it's there. Um, if you really dig deep enough, you'll find he isn't just uh, an atheist. He really was a practicing Satanist. And what you said, by the way, about Hillary Clinton and uh, her alleged involvement in satanic churches and witchcraft and activities like that, I have not done a study regarding her life. I know, I know uh, to some degree uh, her occult involvement. Uh, I know that she's involved in the occult uh, at certain levels, but the information that you, you just made regarding her activities in, in uh, allegedly in witchcraft or whatever, I have heard uh, with increasing frequency recently, and it's something I want to dig into, because it's very important that we really probe deeply into the lives of these people because if you probe deeply and you do indeed discover that it is a fact that this individual or that individual uh, was a Satanist or a practicing witch, uh, that makes all the difference in terms of evaluating the character and trying to figure out what their agenda is or was. And if she indeed is a practicing witch, as it has been alleged, that would explain a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, this um, 
I, I just don't get, I was listening to, uh, I was in the car a lot today, taking my wife to a few appointments that she had, and um, Glenn Beck pulled up some old clips from the uh, Bill Clinton um, presidency and his actual governorship in Arkansas, and Hillary Clinton's been talking about, you know, a vast right-wing conspiracy that has been out for her and her husband since the beginning. I just don't understand how she's been uh, continuing to play this narrative and getting the support. We've seen um, the uh, the constant, you know, Bill Clinton was in, was impeached as a president, and right. Hillary, you know, stood by her, stood by him. But I don't believe it was for any of the reasons that that people think, and it was purely for the positions uh, from you know the State Department to the position she's in today as right. running for president. Right. Um, it wasn't out of you know love for her husband or keeping her family together. It was out of a pure selfish political motivation. That's and right. the the people that she calls her heroes or mentors, you know, from Margaret Thatcher to uh, Saul Alinsky, you know, these people were uh, eugenicists and uh, you know devil worshippers and Satanists. And right. the the liberal media, the leftist media. Um, it's just it just boggles my mind when you think things couldn't get more deceptive couldn't get more hypocritical on on their end um it just you know goes off the deep end and you know i'm sitting here scratching my head wondering how can these people get away with it uh, but we see this social uh warrior, social justice warriors uh, all these different you know groups and movements and and people trying to get behind her for their own selfish reasons at the same time so there is a, you know, I I would agree that it is a mental disorder, this um, idea that because uh, uh, an African-American gets the presidency that African-Americans are going to be, you know, so much better off uh, like they thought with the 08 and Obama. And obviously, as we see, the fruits of that is the opposite. And here we have, you know, the, the country of people who support Hillary Clinton. Um, think that you know it's going to be more equality for women because you know we all know Hillary's a, a champion for women's rights, and um, it, it's just it's just mind-boggling to see uh, this once great nation from the time I was born until now go down such a dark turn that I don't know that we'll be able to get out of um, even with a non-Hillary presidency, but with a Hillary presidency, you can guarantee that it will be full-blown globalism and she will take it 10 steps further than Obama ever did and there is no win for America, its constitution and the freedoms it gives the citizens and restrictions that it puts on the government. There is no feature of any of that with a Hillary Clinton presidency and it just boggles my mind, you know, the infighting we see with the Republican side and and whatnot, Um, but the Hillary Clinton support is just uh, something I don't understand and never will. And it would be interesting well, to see, and I think we will see, um, some very shady things happen in this election as the uh, global elitists panic, as they are concerned, as Trump continues to gain momentum. You know, his speech tonight at the RNC, uh, he's going to be talking about and has talked about the uh, keeping America safe again, He's talked about how uh, Obama made the decision to give uh, Hillary the keep Hillary in charge of Americans' foreign policy and the disasters that have uh, happened due to that decision, and and many other things. Uh, you know, keep America safe, make America great, and bringing jobs back to America. 
um, and, and keeping out of, you know, these foreign entanglements that are unneeded. And it'll be interesting to see what Hillary says at the convention in the DNC here coming up um, after the Republican convention is closed. Do you, is there anything you expect from the DNC? Uh, anything new uh, to uh, be rolled yeah. out with them? Well, you're asking very, very important questions regarding Hillary because um, um, people are not stupid. I mean, they, they, they can be deceived and gullible, but there's a lot of people <clears throat> that their perceptions are functioning uh, uh, fully uh, well, or they're fully awake, and, and they understand that Hillary is a very evil and devious, dishonest character, but they're okay with that because she's pushing their agenda. I mean, you take feminism. Uh, um, Hillary, who claims to be the candidate for women, you know, her her husband has had so many accusations, it's in the hundreds, of being raped, women being raped or uh, molested or uh, you can go into the accounts and, and uh, it, it's, it's brutal sexual abuse and then their yeah. lives threatened. I mean, it goes on for, it goes back for, for decades and it's a long list. It's in the hundreds. So, uh, she, and, and she allegedly was involved as the one covering it all up who basically made sure that these girls were terrified and wouldn't come public. Uh, not only that, she has all these dealings with uh, uh, Islamic militant Islamic nations where they cut off part of the female's uh, sexual anatomy, uh, where sexual slavery, sexual rape of women, uh, sexual brutality of women is promoted. And, and is, in fact, it's the law. And she takes money from these countries that treat women uh, like slaves, Brutally raping, torturing them, et cetera, et cetera, and yet the feminist, uh, the the elderly feminist female, they're dying off in America, but the feminist uh, old guard continues to defend her, and the, and the feminists in the media who are aging continue to defend Hillary like she's a feminist. They're crying out loud. She is, has single-handedly done more to empower the abuse and exploitation of women uh, than, than almost any individual I can think of. And, and the cherry on top is the fact that she is an empowerer and covers up her, her, her husband's rapes and uh, sexual abuse and, uh, you know, towards women. She personally, she's personally, allegedly, she's personally involved in, in, in the cover-up, yeah. terrifying of the girls. Yeah, she is, and uh, that was one of the things that was talked about, I think, on the, the Glenn Beck show today. He did a part three of the uh, Cl uh, Hillary uh, criminal uh, stuff, and, and we specifically focused on the uh, covering up of the uh, sexual abuse uh, by the hands of her husband, Bill Clinton, and they played testimony from some of these women, and it showed the just incredible intimidation that Hillary used uh, with these women, you know, basically uh, getting in their face, holding their hands, and and, and saying things to them um, that were, you know, could be definitely taken to be threats uh, and without saying the words so much. But her lack of empathy for them, um, I mean, I just don't see any, I don't know any women or woman who would 
have with a husband like that who would defend or back that kind of behavior up um it, and that's just you know mind blowing in a in and of itself aside from all the scandals that she has been a part of and and that have come out from Benghazi to the email scandals i mean this is not even well, this is politics aside this is just being a, a good human being and having a heart uh right. It was almost like she was rubbing it in their faces while she was, uh, you know, intimidating them at the same time. And and that kind of person, uh, to me, is a sociopath with no empathy, only caring, as we said earlier, about her own personal political ambitions. Yeah, okay, so, so and, and, and um, you know, we can't obviously prove everything that's been discussed, but there's so much of it. Uh, uh, so much, so much testimony against her, so many accus- accusations against her, uh, that appear to be credible. Um, she, um, she demonstrates, as you said, the, the qualities of somebody who's sociopathic. So you put that kind of person in office, and whether it's somebody who's like a Nazi sociopath or, or a communist sociopath, you have you have all the elements in place, and and this is where most Americans, you know, they, they turn off their brains, they don't want to remember history, you know, that old expression, it can't happen here. Well, when you give absolute power to somebody who is corrupt, uh, and that's what potentially could happen in the United States of America, uh, you have the potential of a dictatorship occurring in the United States of America that is Potentially, every bit as brutal uh, as what occurred in the communist nations and in uh, Hitler during the Third Reich. And people need to, you know, we we have an very indulged millennial generation that doesn't know history, and we have a lot of people that are older than the millennials who have forgotten their history. Um, when evil comes into power, and they are in charge of the military and the police force and everything else. Uh, things can become very brutal and very ugly, and uh, it, it, it goes way beyond what most people uh, are able to conceive of. But if they read their history books and read what actually happened in the communist nations like Poland uh, that were taken over, or East Germany, or Nazi Germany, or any other nation, yeah. you know, it's, it's horrifying. It is. And Paul, we're up, we're up okay. against the top of the hour break. Folks, you're listening to Paul McGuire, his website, paulmcguire.us. Check out his new show, The Paul McGuire Report, airing 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio. You can get the archive on iTunes, SoundCloud. Go to his website, paulmcguire.us. His new book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, 2016-2017, also out. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, 
Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Tonight, our guest is Paul McGuire, and Paul McGuire is a, a great friend of the show, and he has done so much work to advance uh, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, as well as his new radio show. Folks, you got to check this out, the Paul McGuire Report. It airs 4 to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday, Eastern Time. And go to paulmcguire.us, check out his new radio show. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about this here in, in this hour, uh, as he's been uh, doing shows uh, each and every day, as well as his new book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, 2016-2017. Also, Paul will be speaking at the upcoming Hear the Watchman conference in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, folks, Anybody who is able to go, I recommend that you do go. September 30th through October 2nd, uh, be a part of Hear the Watchman conference in Knoxville, Tennessee. You're going to get to see some great speakers from Paul McGuire, uh, who is our guest tonight, to Josh Tolley, uh, a regular guest of the show. J.B. Wells will be there, Russ Dizdar, uh, Pastor Flip Benham, Pastor Langford, and many others, and you can get your tickets at a discounted price of $99. Also, until the uh, 24th of this month, if you purchase your tickets before and up to the 24th, you will get a free copy of Paul's new book, A Prophecy of the Future of America 2016-2017. And again, this conference is in Knoxville, September 30th to October 2nd. Folks, go to hearthewatchmen.com. That's hearthewatchmen.com. Now, Paul, you were in Hear the Watchmen in Dallas, um, and we were there as well. But you, as you have been doing lately, uh, have a number of, of speaking and, and conference commitments that you were a part of. And you only got to stay for about a day in Dallas. Um, you're going to be in Knoxville for the for the whole three days, is that correct? Uh, yes, I will. And uh, Hear the Watchmen uh, in Knoxville, at the Knoxville Marriott, as you just said, September 30th to October 2nd. I'll be there the whole three days. And based on uh, the Hear the Watchmen conference I spoke to at Dallas, where you and your dad were there, and 
uh, a number of other, all the speakers were there too, and you were speakers. Uh, in fact, you guys introduced me, which was an honor. Uh, that was a powerful conference. All I can say to people that have not come out to a Hear the Watchman conference, first of all, it was packed. Uh, the, the, the atmosphere was electrifying. Uh, people were excited, passionate, and enthusiastic. Uh, the power of God was all over the place. You could feel it. So, uh, you know, it's time for people to stop, uh, you know, being all by themselves, get on a plane, and go to the Hear the Watchman conference and, and register. It, it, it was powerful. I would have to say it was one of the most powerful conferences I've ever been to. It was just the atmosphere was electrifying and it was just uh, it was something you, you, you just don't forget so people really need to uh, find out about it and register and physically show up it's not just a conference this thing is electric and they need to join me and the other speakers that hear the watchman at the Knoxville Marriott absolutely and again that's uh, www.hearthewatchmen.com uh, September 30th through October 2nd Get your tickets here uh, in the next um, before the end of next week at a, a price of ninety nine dollars. After that, they go up to about I think one hundred thirty nine dollars or one hundred forty nine dollars. And if you're able to go, I suggest you go not only for the speakers but for the fellowship and yeah. the uh, spiritual atmosphere and environment that's there. Uh, it's it's one of of healing and of of love. And if it's half as good as the Dallas conference, which I know it will be. Um, it's definitely worth anybody and everybody's time who will be able to get there. Um, Paul, your new show, The Paul McGuire Report, that you started, you want to tell us a little bit about how that's been going? Sure. Uh, first of all, um, we just started it about uh, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, I forget. Uh, it airs every Monday through Friday, two hours a day on a blog talk radio. And uh, we have all kinds of apps so they can listen to it on their cell phone or whatever. They simply go to paulmcguire.us and they can uh, watch it on YouTube or, or Blueberry or SoundCloud and iTunes. You know, we have all the apps for them. And uh, it airs from um, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It starts um, and different time zones. If you miss it, you can go into the archives and catch it. It's 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, two hours a day. A good link, if you forget the blog talk link, is paulmcguire.us. And the the purpose of the program, is it's not to do another Hagman and Hagman report. You guys are doing a phenomenal job in what you're doing, and uh, uh, our emphasis is a little bit different. Uh, I do... Uh, 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 analysis of current events uh, from Bible prophecy, but I also do Bible prophecy teaching, and I get more into Bible prophecy teaching as well as ministry and teaching of the uh, other areas of the Bible, but I relate it to current events and everything to the supernatural warfare and all kinds of stuff. So it's a very powerful show, but we have a different emphasis, let's say, than the Hagman and Hagman Report. And uh, I hope people will uh, check us out and listen to it and then just stay connected to Blog Talk Radio because your show, The Hagman and Hagman Report, comes on, I guess, an hour or two after my show. So uh, you guys are one of the reasons I decided to do it. I said to myself, I'm never going to go back in radio. I'll just be on other people's shows. But uh, uh, what we're doing is different, 
and people are being ministered to, and that's that's the reason we, we do it. So I hope people will check it out and listen to the Paul McGuire report. But thank you for giving me an opportunity to uh, talk about it. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we'll be promoting it as much as possible. And I think uh, people out there, you can subscribe, as Paul said, through either SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, I know many people uh, like and appreciate the iTunes because each day they, they can download the show and, and listen to it, start and stop it as they uh, please. Uh, you can do that on SoundCloud also. There's a phone app for that. It makes it very handy on the go on your phones. Um, wherever you are, it, it brings it right to you. Uh, Paul, this hour I'd like to start out by getting into the Nice terror attacks in France. Um, and there's been some new developments here. Now, there was a narrative going around that this was some kind of spontaneous, uh, angry Muslim who took a truck and, and rampaged through the Bastille Day celebration, killing 84 people and wounding uh, several hundred others. But now it's come out that the Nice terrorist had accomplices and for months had help in training and plotting the attacks. Now, the media has been reporting this, as I said, as a, you know, kind of a lone wolf um angry, uh, you know, just kind of went off the hinges and, and did this. Now they, they can't stand behind that anymore. Um, do you see, and I already know the answer to, to this, uh, what do you see the, how this is going to continue with these uh, increasing the number of frequency uh, and the number of victims seems to continue to increase as these attacks get worse and worse? Um, how's this going to continue to play out in France and in other European countries? Then uh, as it pertains to America, what are, what are we to expect in America with the increasing ISIS and radical uh, Islam attacks? Well, all of those questions are, are, are very important, and uh, I'm glad you asked that. And I, I ask myself, every time I see this stuff happen in Europe, I get this very strong, uneasy feeling and it's beyond emotion. It's just a deep sense of uneasiness of um, it's going to happen here. Um, it's not that I'm trying to be negative. It's just that it's a warning. It's happening there, and it's going to happen here. And the question is, what are we going to do about it before it happens uh, in, a, in an attempt to stop it? Um, what can we do about it to be proactive? Because it's happening there it's going to happen here. Now, I just happened to be uh, in Paris a week and a half after the Charlie Hebdo terrorist attacks, and I was speaking on Bible prophecy at a very large church in Paris of 12,000 members, but um, when I was walking around the streets of Paris, um, I, you know, every, the, 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 everything, everybody was on high alert the, the police were out in the streets. Normally, they don't carry guns, but there were a lot of police authorities carrying guns. But the the French were totally unprepared psychologically and physically. Uh, you know, they don't have guns in in Paris, France. They're very socialist. They look to the government to do everything. And I, I don't mean to be unkind or insulting to the French because I'm partially French. My grandmother was uh, from France. But, they, but they're almost childlike in their response. They're very dependent. They expect the government to be the big mommy or big daddy to take care of them, uh, unlike a lot of people in America. Um, and they, 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 they were, there's a soft target. They were a sitting duck. So then 
the other terrorist attacks happened at the concert. Uh, again, they were sitting ducks. And then uh, what happened in uh, Nice, um, it doesn't surprise me that it was an organized, well-planned attack. And, and it doesn't surprise me that the French wouldn't want to come forth with that because that, uh, by saying that it was organized and it took months to plan, the, the, there's an indicting question is, well, how come your intelligence didn't know about it if it took months to plan? How come your uh, French intelligence and your uh, police agencies didn't uncover it? Uh, that's the question that would be asked next. Why were the people slaughtered? Why were you not able to stop it? And um, it's interesting that you asked me this question because I had a prophetic dream about two nights ago. Um, and again, I define these things. I don't have, you know, I'm very careful about the usage of these terms like prophetic dreams. So I can't, I don't have that many prophetic dreams. I have them on occasion, but this was a very strange dream. And it was a prophetic dream because it was so realistic and so vivid, but it was and I actually wrote down in the middle of the night on my laptop, which I have in front of me, some key bullet points uh, of what the Lord was trying to show me in the dream because I, kn I know myself and I know I would have forgotten everything, including the fact that I had the dream. In fact, I forgot that I had the dream until you brought this topic up. And it was a prophetic dream. And what happened in the dream, I was, uh, I was awoken by the sound of of what it was a stampede and I, I it was like I awakened to a stampede of the sound of, of running people many people were running in terror and fear and it was almost like I was looking at a landscape that wasn't flat it was like oval like the like the earth so 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 people were running in a stampede like fashion and there was terror in the air and fear in the air and people are, were, were trampling uh, over one another. And uh, it was a prophetic dream that consisted of this stampede on the earth. And then I was very aware of the fact that uh, this stampede was instilling fear in people and that the fear was contagious. This fear was spreading uh, all over the place. Uh, and that the fear from the stampede uh, was causing uh, all kinds of strange uh, movements in society and all kinds of societal uh, and social organization disruptions and then the, the fear uh, that came about because of the stampede on the earth and what preceded the stampede on the earth was some kind of terrorist attack um, it was driving people to do things that were very weird and, and to attempt to escape more of it they were moving to all kinds of places because they were seeking out all kinds of what they thought would be safe places in their mind and then in this prophetic dream that I had um, it, it the, the, the concept was that, that immersed the dream was uh, the idea of a one-world government and a one-world economic and a one-world religious system, this, um, the dream morphed into 
this concept of a global government, a global religion, and a global economic system, and then the idea of a centralized authority dominated the theme of the dream, and then the idea that time was accelerating, that everything was accelerating at a faster and faster rate uh, re regarding the stampede on the earth and the stampede uh, instilling fear and then creating the causal factors for a global government, a global religious system, uh, and, a, and a global uh, economic system. And it was accelerating. And then the purpose of the dream, of the stampede on the earth, was that it was a prophetic dream to warn God's people uh, of, of the lateness of the hour prophetically. And I wrote all this down uh, because I would have forgotten it. So it's the, the prophetic dream is directly tied into the question you asked me. And these events that are happening, like in Nice, uh, or like the nightclub when there was the shooting, or the uh, uh, cops that were shot in Dallas, or San Bernardino, uh, or the uh, concert hall in France, uh, they're, they're happening more and more frequently, um, and they're escalating in their size and intent. And my concern is that in Europe, um, the people are totally unprepared. And what I mean by unprepared is that they're unprepared spiritually for uh, these things happening because they're going to happen with an increasing in frequency. But the reason for the prophetic dream, and this is, by the way, why I wrote A Prophecy of the Future of America and A Prophecy of the Future of America 2016-2017. The books were written as prophetic warnings to the country that you and I live in, the United States of America, that when we see these things happen in Europe and other places, we're not in some isolated place. Um, God is giving us an advance warning that these kinds of things are going to happen here with increasing intensity. They're already starting to happen here, but it's but they're but the, at the present moment they're at a, a minor level. But my concern is, and, and I'm going to be very straightforward, and my purpose in being straightforward is not to instill fear or panic or paranoia. But my concern is, and I'm, again, I'm, being, I'm going to get right to the point. My concern is, my consuming concern is that we are going to experience uh, an event that happens very su suddenly where, there, where it's going to be a, a high casualty event with uh, a, a, a great number of loss of American lives, and it will be unexpected and it will be suddenly and there's a number of ways that it could come, uh, whether it's nuclear or, or a gunman or whatever, and it's going to cause a lot of casualties, and there's going to be death and destruction, and this is my concern. Um, the Lord has been calling his people for a long time to pray seriously against these things, uh, from happening. The Lord has been calling his people for a long time to uh, uh, take the mantle of intercessors, to act as intercessory prayer warriors, uh, to repent of their own sins, to repent of the sins of the church and the nation, and to ask God for supernatural protection 
from these things, but the reality is that uh, the vast majority of God's people are not listening to the warnings of the Lord at all, and those that are hearing the warnings of the Lord are not responding in obedience, and they're not taking it upon themselves to actually pray and intercede and ask God for his supernatural protection in a proactive manner uh, so that God would prevent or limit or restrain these things from happening. So if God's people, that's me and you and all of your listeners and the people that we know, when we see things like in Nice... That's a warning to us because it could happen here tomorrow morning in some other fashion. But our response is not to look at our television and say, oh, how horrible. That's not, that's not an adequate response. Our response has to be to hear the, to hear the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord is calling his people to pray proactively for God's supernatural protection over this nation. And that God's people are to repent and intercede and ask God to restrain, to stop, to block, to prevent, or to limit the damage or to completely stop such an event from happening here. Now, I, I realized I listed a whole series of responses that the Lord might do, but see, that's up to him. Our job is to ask him to restrain it, to stop it, to limit it. But I can tell you this with 100% certainty. If God's people do not hear the deafening warning that resides uh, in what we're seeing in Nice and France, if God's people in America do not hear at the level of a deafening warning that it is going to come here and the only thing that can stop it, restrain it, block it, or prevent it is for God's people to really get serious in an intercessory prayer and ask the Lord to stop it, restrain it, and prevent it. If God's people do not obey him and begin to pray in the manner that I just described immediately, I'm talking about immediately. I'm talking about before tonight is over. What I'm saying to you, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to hold back. I said, at first I said I'm going to be shoot straight. Well, I, I did shoot straight, but now I'm going to hold back a little bit because I don't want to run the risk of being misunderstood or having what I'm saying uh, being construed as some kind of self-exaltation, which is which is not the intention. But what I'm telling you, uh, with the greatest sobriety that I can possibly convey the message. I'm telling you that the Lord is warning America very loudly and very clearly, and that warning is directed towards his people who are supposed to be intercessors. There are things that are in the works towards America that are very dangerous, very demonic, and very destructive. They are going to happen, and they're going to produce a very bad sequence of results. But if God's people will hear the voice of the Lord and obey it, because the Lord is speaking to his people now. And the only person that would say that the Lord is not speaking to, to them is, is it's those people who have chosen through an act of their self-will to become deaf to the voice of the Lord. The Lord is speaking to his people, 
and he's commanding his people to pray and intercede for his supernatural protection, his restraint, his blocking, his preventing, and his limiting of disaster from terrorist attacks. It is up to God's people to engage in that kind of spiritual warfare and prayer, and God is commanding his people to do it now, immediately. If God's people will do that, if God's people will obey him, the hand of the Lord will descend upon our nation, and we will see restraints, limitations, a holding back, and even potentially, if we please the Lord, we will see God stop and uncover an attack before it happens. But if we do not stand in the gap and pray, there is nobody else to do it. Because, you see, our intelligence agencies, they can't possibly be God. They can't see everything and see everywhere. So I'm giving a prophetic warning, but I'm also giving a very powerful message of hope. This isn't a game. God has an expectation, and that expectation is that his people pray with the utmost seriousness. This is why I consider it a privilege to be on your program and to speak to everybody listening, because I know that there's a huge percentage of people listening who will respond in obedience, and God will honor our prayers. It's also the purpose of Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church. We're trying to raise up uh, intercessory prayer groups and individuals. We're trying to teach them and to motivate them and to call them to intercessory prayer through the radio program, through the books, uh, through the DVDs, and through appearances on your show. That's what the purpose of my books are. I mean, they contain a prophetic warning. Every one of the books do, but they contain a solution in terms of prayer and things that God, God's people can do. So, to summarize what I just said, there is and there exists great potential danger uh, targeted towards the United States of America. But, God can intervene. He can stop it, he can restrain it, he can limit it, and he can actually shut it down. What he is waiting for is for his people to come to him into the throne room and ask God to stop, stop at his intercessors. And God is making a promise to his people. And those people who can hear the spirit of the Lord know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in the atmosphere of our exchange tonight, the spirit of the Lord is speaking very strongly to people. And it's a summons from God. It's a summons from heaven to lay down the nonsense and to seek his face. And God is making a promise to his people. He's both summoning them to a call of action, but he's making a promise. If you will do what I'm asking you to do, which is to take this thing seriously and begin to intercede in prayer, the Lord on high is promising supernatural deliverance, supernatural uh, restraint, and supernatural shutdowns of potentially devastating events. We don't look at it in passivity or uh, mindless terror. God can stop it. He's waiting on us to ask him as intercessors. And the only thing I can say in, in, in summary to everything I just said is um, wh what I've just said to you, I believe, was from the Lord. And you can discern or judge it as you will, but I believe that what I shared with you contained a very strong 
a very urgent prophetic warning regarding something that is on the horizon that God wants to stop and shut down but he has issued a summons and a command and whether or not God shuts it down and prevents it is entirely dependent upon the response of his people so you know as a watchman on the wall and I'm not the only one I, I've delivered the message yeah no you're absolutely right and um in, in James chapter 5 verse 16 it says confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much Amen. Uh, and that goes for you know the intercessors and you mentioned something important about hearing the voice of the Lord and those who are not hearing from the Lord um, we've talked about the uh, in, in the churches today, uh, it seems to be you have one of two churches. Either you have a Bible-based uh, church that is based on the precepts and, and foundations of the Lord, or you have a, a church that is um, for those who have the, the itching ears and are, are preaching another kind of Jesus and leaving out uh, a whole lot of things aside from you know the love aspect of it. Um, in your own personal experience, uh, with the prayer, what else should people do to make sure that they are hearing the voice of the Lord? And I, you know, from reading scriptures, um, do you have any other? Uh, and I like the, the gratitude. You know, waking up and starting your day with realizing and, and thanking the Lord for what you do have. Uh, simple things like this uh, help me to to stay on track. Uh, is there anything you can offer and advice for listeners out there who may be struggling to keep that? Uh, relationship between Jesus and themselves on a daily basis going? Uh, yeah, and, and and that would be, you know, the, there's the general commandment of God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So um, no matter what's going on, um, we're not to be given over to a spirit of fear. We're to be operating with power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind is one that is psychologically sound, and number two, we're to be sober and to be vigilant. The idea is that God expects us to operate and run our brains in a, in a manner which is psychologically sound. We're not to be uh, taking tidbits of information and, and running off into states of hyper-paranoia. We're not to be grabbing a little bit of this or a rumor of that and kind of m mixing it in a concoction and going off the deep end. We, we need to be people that uh, gather information and uh, facts from a variety of sources so that we know uh, that we're getting accurate information. And even in relationship with, with what I just said, uh, nobody should be running off half-cocked with that and adding to it and coming up with some kind of like, you know, ultra-paranoic thing that I didn't say. It's it's to be sober, it's to be balanced, and you're to, we're to be rational and we're to be informed. So we're to know, we're we're supposed to know what's going on in our nation politically, uh, socially. We're supposed to know, for example, what's happening in Turkey, why it's happening, what's happening in the European Union, what's happening economically and with our, in our own economics. We're supposed to be uh, uh, up to speed. We don't have to be experts in every field, but we need to be aware and we need to be people that are mentally focused and disciplined. Otherwise, God can't trust us. 
You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Then we just Absolutely. become kind of like crazy people. And the discipline is a very important aspect of that. And uh, I am have been and and at times continue to be undisciplined at you know certain days and and weeks. Uh, in as far as you know, the reading of scripture I'm supposed to do and the studying. Um, yeah, and I'll be the first to admit that, you know, but, um, when we, when we realize and feel ourselves getting into that, uh, position, that's usually when we need to sit down, regardless of what we're doing, and, and start reading scripture and praying, uh, right then and there, because the Lord will, um, impart things in you, impart wisdom and, and discernment, but you have to continue to have an open relationship with Him, and it's not something that, uh, is all consuming in the sense that you need to always, you know, every second of the day pray and read your Bible, but you do have to keep the Lord and Jesus in, in the front of your mind when dealing with every, each and every situation. And only through discipline, uh, will that come. And through obedience will that come. And sadly today, too many Christians have been, um, blinded by their own, uh, lack of, of study and lack of discernment. And it's very sad to see uh, the Christians today, uh, the, the people who call themselves Christians, who are lukewarm, and, and and the lack of discernment that is in those groups. It is uh, heartbreaking to see that. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the other thing is that, um, you know, God is uh, a God of love, and God... Um, does not want to d- deprive us of hope for our lives. So even in relationship to what I just said, um, the word says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It, God does not want to give us s- s- just one kind of information uh, which results in us becoming uh, so frightened and so fearful that we, we, we lose our hope and then we become sick, psychologically sick, despondent and despairing. Every one of us have been given freedom, we've been given choices, we've been given opportunities, and God's expectation for each one of us is that we utilize what he's given us in terms of talents and and abilities. So this is not a time, despite what I said in terms of the urgency of of a warning, uh, simultaneously this is a, a time for opportunity. It's a time to begin ministries. It's a time to begin businesses. It's a time to begin life. You know, when people come to me and say, well, I don't want to have kids because it's too scary. No, you're missing the point. Life goes on. You can have kids. You can get married. You don't wait for a perfect world to have kids. That's not that's not a reason. You, you know, um, even in the last days, God said there will be marriage and giving in marriage. So life goes on, and uh, despite terrorist attacks, life will go on for the people in France. A, a people group that I've learned an enormous amount from are uh, those people that come from Israel and the Jewish people, and especially those whose um, uh, parents or grandparents uh, survived the Holocaust and those who made their way to Israel in 1948. Despite all the intensities and terrorist attacks I can't tell you how many people I've met uh, who are Jewish who have who have managed to at the same time. I mean, they have terrorist attacks, they have these horrible things going on, but at the same time, they've managed to build businesses, build careers, build families, uh, be the people 
women and men of God they're supposed to be. They don't they don't allow these things to to uh, uh, paralyze them from from stopping living. So anything that I said or anything that that people hear, we are called by God to continue to live abundantly, and we may have to fight. Uh, to live abundantly, like fight corruption in our government and fight corrupt laws that would attempt to deprive us of the privilege of living abundantly. But we're called to live abundantly. So none of this should be construed as let's be terrified and hide in the basement, you know, in a paralysis of fear. Um, we're to be bold, we're to be filled with love, and we're to be doing everything God called us to do with our lives. So this is not a time for fear. Um, it, it may be a time that people are tempted to be fearful, but this is not a time to give into fear. And I certainly, in my own personal life, have no intention of giving into fear. I'm not going to hide anywhere, and I'm going to continue on doing, creating, and growing, and being the person I've been called to be. And I would hope that your listeners would do the same with their lives. No, that's uh, exactly right, and, and terrific insight. Um, and I hope the listeners do. Uh, take in, take this advice and, and do so um, and, and act on it. Um, kind of switching gears here, Paul, we have about uh, 15, 16 minutes before the top of the hour. I'd like to get your take, uh, if we can, from a biblical perspective on what's happening with Turkey and their uh, the, the failed coup there. Uh, actually, the res- what's going to happen, the consequences from the failed coup and the aligning with Russia, and if this is in or a part of the Bible prophecy of the end times, many people are talking about, you know, this could Gog and Magog and uh, the Psalm 83 war, that this is setting up the uh, alliances that are needed to make uh, the prophecy come to fruition. Um, what do you see happening in, in Turkey or with Turkey in the future of NATO and uh, also with Russia and Bible prophecy? Well, uh- as you asked the question, and it's very interesting, um, uh, Turkey is named in Bible prophecy. Uh, it's named in Ezekiel 38. So Turkey is a key uh, prophetic nation uh, that is named in the Bible in terms of Bible prophecy. So uh, it appears that this uh, coup was instigated uh, by the head of Turkey, um, as a as a manufactured coup so that he could consolidate his power uh, also consolidate his uh, his power with um, uh, Islamic nations and as I'm sure you know and many of your listeners know um, the there's an area uh, that Turkey uh, controls or has influence over which um, where there is a tremendous amount of nuclear bombs. I'm talking about specifically about the 50 B-61 nuclear bombs that are stored in, uh, un- in underground vaults. And uh, um, Turkey supposedly has been withholding uh, military supplies uh, from the U.S.-NATO Joint uh, Air Force installation uh, near Turkey, And in that base, there happens to be 50 B-61 nuclear bombs. Now, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, these B-61 nuclear bombs, each one of them 
have ten times the power of the atomic bombs that destroyed Hiroshima and Japan. So Turkey is a key geopolitical player, especially in relationship with NATO and Europe and, uh, and its relationship with Russia. Uh, again, we have this um, um, expansion of Russian power. Um, we have the expansion of Chinese power, both military and economically. Uh, some people speculate that China, because it's so busy storing so much gold, may make an attempt uh, to uh, put forth a global currency uh, based on a Chinese dollar because they're accumulating such a large uh, amount of gold. So um, Turkey is important because it's key, it's key in Bible prophecy. And this particular uh, head of uh, Turkey, it appears that he he created his own coup to consolidate his power and. Um, Behind the scenes, there's a fight between uh, those in his government who would be of the militant Islamic uh, faith or ideology and those that are just uh, uh, kind of line up in terms of military controlled by the head of Turkey. So Turkey is also the gateway between Syria and the Middle East and Europe, and Turkey is also historically... Uh, one of the centers of the world's most powerful uh, empires uh, was located in Turkey. So if we go back into Turkey's past, Turkey is not some weak little insignificant nation. Turkey right. was the center of a global empire for centuries. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how in-depth you want to get in on the subject, but um, from Constantinople uh, yeah. to you know the Istanbul to the Ottoman Empire, um, are we seeing a reemergence of this Ottoman Empire, and what significance does does Istanbul or former Constantinople play um, in the things that are going to be coming in the future? Well, that, again, that's a very good question, and um, teachers of Bible prophecy uh, have brought this up in the last uh, twenty years. Uh, Chuck Misler, who's a friend of mine, uh, has brought it up uh, as well as others, but. Um, the, the Roman Empire, or the revived Roman Empire, uh, which many people believe is essentially uh, where Europe is, and that goes back to Daniel chapter 9, uh, where Daniel has a, a, a vision or a dream he interprets for King Nebuchadnezzar that begins with the Babylonian Empire and ends with the revived Roman Empire of ten toes made out of, of ceramic material and uh, metal. And many people believe that the revived Roman Empire is is Europe um, now. But the revived Roman Empire, when you go back in terms of history, it appears that the headquarters of the Roman of the Roman Empire was not just in the area of the Vatican and uh, some of the more European areas like Germany, but one of the heads. Of the Roman Empire, it appears it had in history had had dual two dual locations, and one was uh, Istanbul in Turkey, uh, where the Ottoman Empire was. So it so it appears historically that the Roman Empire was ruled from two different locations: one inside Europe near Italy, and one in the area of uh, Istanbul uh, 
in the Ottoman Empire inside Turkey. So if that's true, the Ottoman Empire was an extremely powerful empire, and it, it only began to degrade in power um, uh, before uh, World War I. Um, it started to seriously degrade, but prior to that, it was one of the most powerful empires in the world. And some people believe that Istanbul was the head of the uh, Roman Empire. And if that's the case, and this is what the Bible prophecy teachers are speculating, what they're speculating is, does a revived Roman Empire, does it actually mean that the head of this new revived Roman Empire will be Islamic in nature, and will it come out of Istanbul and not, say, like, like uh, the Vatican or, or Rome, as is most traditionally believed? So they're wondering, will this revived Roman Empire really come out of Istanbul? Will it be an Islamic-controlled revived Roman Empire? And that's the questions that, sur that surround uh, Turkey and Istanbul and Constantinople. Yeah, and we see, and this is something you've talked about uh, quite often, is the Albert Pike uh, Third World War letter to uh, Musini, uh, mm -hmm. and it talks about this: the uh, what would happen f with the uh, the nihilist and the, the Muslims versus the the Jews, and uh, unleashing the the atheist, as it says in the in the letter. Um, yeah. Each day that goes by, it seems more and more like that is is not a, a hoax letter. That is very accurate, um, and well, you're, you're, we're seeing it play out in in uh, in a prophecy of the future of America. The first book, not the second book. In the first book, I have a number of chapters devoted to uh, Pike's vision. Um, and uh, his vision of three world wars. And um, l let me just go over, I go over it in, in greater detail in the book, but there's a few points that people need to understand, and that is, of course, the Illuminati motto is order out of chaos, but Pike was one of the world's most powerful Illuminati leaders, and he lived <coughs> in the United States of America. He was a Confederate general. He was uh, in communication with the Illuminati leader and Italian uh, communist Manzini, and he had this vision, which he, he wrote down, of, of three uh, world wars and, and what uh, would start these three world wars, which is very odd because all of these world wars happened uh, exactly as he described, uh, how he described they would happen. And he knew that they would happen before they would happen. Now, I'm not, you know, saying he's like a biblical prophet or anything, but his final world war that Mazzini talked about um, was this planned Illuminati and Luciferian uh, uh, revolution. And um, in this vision or dream that he claimed to have, the final uh, World War III would be between Europe and the United States. Uh, it would occur primarily in the Middle East, but it would spread globally, and it would be a battle uh, over Israel, and it would be a battle of the Western nations or the so-called Christian nations uh, fighting Islam. So it would be a global 
world war that would involve the loss of millions and millions of people and it would be a battle between the West and militant Islam and as you as you referred to the game plan of the Illuminati is that after the, this, this horrific world war between uh, Israel, uh, the Jews and uh, Islam that there would be so many millions of people dead, there would be so many uh, weapons of mass destruction uh, uh, used that people would be in complete despair and horror and they would uh, they would they would give up and in their total despair and in, in their total psychological bro- brokenness they would uh, give up all faith in God all faith in the biblical God and turn towards the worship of Lucifer and so that that is the was the secret game plan of the Illuminati was to create a World War III that is so horrific, so disastrous, that would involve the global conflict between militant Islam and the European nations, that it would cause mankind to to reach such a state of despair and hopelessness that they would be for the first time ripe to worship Lucifer as their god. So it's it's an eerie prophecy, but he was right on the creation of the first two world wars and uh, let's hope he's not right on the third but it looks like he may he may be right maybe that's what we're going into and it, it the, yeah. the point no, is absolutely. the Illuminati uses it it uses the hopelessness of mankind to drive them into a completely anti-god world where they where they literally then begin to worship Lucifer yeah, and we've seen that, you know, and, and you've talked about this on our show and uh, at the the conferences I've I've seen you speak at and and written about this in your books about the uh, the satanic and, and luciferian uh worship that's been going on in California uh last week, I believe it was. There were in Pensacola City, a satanic prayer opened in a city council meeting and mm-hmm. we see um also, you know, the uh what again? What we talked about with Ben Carson and and Saul Alinsky dedicating his book to Lucifer. We see the rise of this Luciferian religion and the uh, worship of Lucifer in the open square and, and the public square, uh, as well as the uh, rise of the Satanic Church and these um, monuments of Baphomet that have been going on up everywhere. And you know, again, it speaks to the dedication of these people and how they feel about their religion of Luciferianism and. Uh, when we look at at the Christian religion, we don't see the the same dedication there as we do on the Luciferian side. Um, and we have just a few minutes before the break, and this is something that we can carry over into the next hour. And then I'd like to talk about the uh, some updates that have been happening uh, with police officers at the RNC and also the attacks on police. If we can get into that, but can you speak to the uh, the rise of of populism? And I know you wrote about this in your first book, The Prophecy of the Future of America. But there's articles from the Financial Times to The Economist that talk about this rise of populism and, you know, from the Brexit to um, other instances uh, of how they say the uh, citizens, the governments are losing control of the citizens due to this populist movement. Yeah, well, uh, all across the world and in the United States, and that's represented by, by the Trump Candidacy, and across Europe, um, the Europeans, the, the masses of people that are Europeans from Europe, 
uh, great numbers of the middle class and working class in Europe and America, uh, they, they no longer have any trust towards the establishment candidates, establishment institutions like uh, the international banks, uh, the, the heads of the political parties, and they are looking for populist candidates, candidates that will champion uh, nationalism, like uh, candidates that will be America first or make America great again, uh, not the candidates that are obviously working for the globalists, because in Europe, whether it's Germany, France, Italy, uh, um, or Great Britain, as well as in America, uh, we have the greater percentage uh, of politicians that are really working for the globalist elite and everything, all the policies that they put forward, all the programs that they put forward, everything that they vote for is for the benefit of the globalists and the international bankers and the globalist elite. And the people are waking up to that and they're no longer supporting those candidates. And when we say those candidates, those are the majority of the mainstream candidates in the Republican Party and the, and, and the Democratic Party, as well as in Europe. So there's, a, there's an awakening uh, among uh, the, the, the populace, the common people, uh, regarding this great betrayal that their leaders are working on behalf of the elite, the super elite. And so um, there's, a, there's a mass awakening no, that's the name of a book I wrote. Yeah. I didn't intend to say it that way, but there's a mass awakening going on across Europe and the United States where people are looking for candidates that will support the actual people, the middle class and the working class. There's a, there's a, a very acute awareness. The same thing that occurs in the media. When you look at the majority of the cable news networks, they are all uh, official mouthpieces for the globalist elite. They are working on behalf of the globalist elite. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, putting forth the news. They're not disclosing information that will help the middle class or the working class. They're, the sole reason for the existence of most of the major media outlets is to support and promote the elite class. That's exactly right. And a new article from the Financial Times talks about the populist credo replaces patriotism with nationalism and promotes contempt for traditional institutions. Folks, we're talking with Paul McGuire. We're going to come back uh, and touch on this as well as other domestic issues on the other side. Stay with us uh, with Paul McGuire for hour number three of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Be right back. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Town or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers denials and deceptions for five years a brutal killer remained on the loose free to kill again as mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond you may never look at your city town or its people the same way ever again stained by blood order your copy of this engaging novel today at hagmanandhagman.com and click on the link stained by blood 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour of this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report with our guest, Mr. Paul McGuire. Folks, visit his website at paulmcguire.us. Check out his radio show, The Paul McGuire Report, airing each day, weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you will not be disappointed. And subscribe to the, the podcast. Um, definitely there and check out paul's latest book a prophecy of the future of america 2016 2017 uh, it's a fantastic book it covers so much uh, just as the the first edition of prophecy of the future of america does um, and again folks who buy their tickets for hear the watchman which is an upcoming event paul will be speaking at uh, till the 24th can get a free copy of the book with the purchase of your tickets um, paul is there any upcoming events that you want to um, promote from conferences to uh, any church meetings coming up? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the, I'm speaking in here, the Watchman in Knoxville. Um, we'll be having another Paradise Mountain Church International meeting soon. They need to keep looking at paulmcguire.us for the scheduling of that. Um, I'll be speaking at the Mid-America Prophecy Conference August 4th to 6th in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, with a lot of big prophecy speakers, and you can find out about that on paulmcguire.us. Also, I'll be speaking at the um, <clears throat> Strategic Perspectives International Conference. That's Koinonia Institute with Dr. Chuck Misler, and I'll be speaking there. Chuck Misler will be speaking there. Um, L.A. Marzuli, Bob Cornuke, Joseph Farah, Bill Salas, Joel Richardson, and a lot of others. So if they go to paulmcguire.us, they can, uh, and then there's other conferences coming up, so they can uh, check out my conference schedule. And it's always great to meet people in person, and it's always especially great to meet people who said, uh, I, I've been, I, I know about you because I've been listening to you for four years on the Hagman and Hagman Report, and I can't tell you how often. I mean, that's like, it <laughs> happens like all day long on the Hagman <laughs> So, That's uh, awesome. And, and you know what? Again. The Hagman, Hagman Report people are, um, they're all different ages. They, they don't fit any particular mold, uh, but they're, they're enthusiastic, they're, they're passionate, and they're, uh, you can't put them in a little category because they, de they defy being categorized. It's a healthy group of people. Absolutely. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with a fantastic and informed audience and, uh, you know, we can't thank them enough for all they do. Uh, I want to give a quick update uh, of what's going on at the RNC, and this ties into uh, what we're going to get into in Hour 3 with the uh, what's been happening with police officers and the domestic tensions and racial divide in America. But this is a bulletin from the Oath Keepers. Three officers at RNC hit with mysterious stickers and suspected syringe attacks. One, at least one officer is hospitalized, as many as three officers from Georgia, two Georgia state troopers to one Cleveland Metro officer, have been afflicted with stinging, numbness, and other symptoms. The symptoms are reported to be related to individual, an individual placing stickers on the officer's skin and potentially using this action to distract the officer so someone can stick the officer with a syringe. Now, uh, Cleveland, the Republican convention in Cleveland special event, uh, Channel transmission says someone poured liquid on a Georgia state trooper. He's now feeling numb in his in his arm, and his arm is numb. Um, didn't this person, uh, uh, Navy Jack, didn't see anybody pour anything onto the trooper? But 
heard him starting to complain about his arm burning. A Georgia trooper was hospitalized. He said he was bumped into by a crowd member. He felt a burning sensation on his arm, and then his hand went completely numb. Stickers are yellow with I am awesome written on them. Protesters putting these on officers. Anyone caught with a yellow I am awesome or elephant sticker will be detained. Two Georgia troopers are being treated by EMS. Uh, officer had a sticker placed on him, feeling burning sensations. Um, police have one in custody. Uh, protesters are coming up to officers with and sticking them with syringes. And apparently syringes were not on a banned item list. They now are. And an update on the suspect detained with stickers. Um, apparently the stickers came back negative, but they will be sent to Columbus for further testing. Uh, suspect being questioned by the FBI now. So that is a, an update from Oath Keepers as um, one officer hospitalized as they suspect a syringe attack on three officers. And this leads into our, our next topic about the attacks on police here domestically. Uh, my dad, through his source in the DHS years ago, talked about this increased tension in the racial uh, divide that we see specifically and especially with police officers. What, in your analysis, Paul, what are we seeing taking place with this backlash against police officers, and what do the police and citizens need to do to rebuild the trust between the two groups, uh, if that's even possible at this point? Well, first I would say that <clears throat> we need to pray for the, uh, uh, the police officers uh, that were hit with the syringe or whatever, as well as God's constant intervention on that convention because it's not over. And just because one test said there was no problem doesn't mean it's an exhaustive test because they're sticking them with something, you know. So we need to pray for the police officers and uh, uh, hopefully they will do an exhaustive test of all possible chemical compounds. But what, what bothers me is the fact that we live in a climate partially perpetuated, well, largely perpetuated, by certain uh, segments of the media that is generating this hostility against the police and creating a psychological environment which where people feel they're justified or empowered to hurt or attack the police. Now, um, um, you know, we, can't, we don't have time to go down every incident. Uh, there are clearly those incidents of um, police uh, uh, violence against uh, innocent people, um, where uh, there's no excuse for it, and and that means that there has to be far better training or whatever, uh, because uh, if even a fraction of the videos that we've seen uh, are are what they appear to be, <clears throat> there's no excuse for for, for killing uh, an innocent African American or man or any man, no excuse whatsoever. So that's a real problem that exists, and we don't know what to what percentage it exists, but it does exist, and it has to be dealt with. Uh, otherwise, it's going to simply inflame an already existing problem. Now, um, the other thing is we have we have the agitation, the, the deliberate agitation of racial warfare by professional groups. Uh, some of these are funded by billionaires. I've done a lot of research. 
I talk about these groups in my book, uh, Mass Awakening and a Prophecy of the Future of America, 2016, 2017, and the other one. I talk about these groups. Um, these groups are funded by billionaires uh, and other uh, uh, radical groups, and um, they have highly trained professional agitators that are flown in. I mean, these people are psychological experts. They've been doing this for 20 or 30 years. Many of them are white. Um, they go back to the demonstrations in the counterculture of the 70s. They know how to, to incite mob violence. They know how to incite police violence. They know how to incite a mob, manipulate a mob. They know how to organize uh, supposedly Soros-financed 10,000 people from Black Lives Matter coming into the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. Uh, <clears throat> the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, they mobilize people. All these socialist, radical communist groups uh, uh, mobilize people uh, to go into Cleveland. My personal opinion of the initial, I don't know how it's playing out now, but my personal opinion of the initial plans for police protection uh, were abysmal. Uh, the, the, the mayor, or not the mayor, the police chief of Cleveland had uh, supposedly about 1,300 police officers uh, uh, set up to protect the, uh, you know, to keep the peace. That's ridiculous. And then he asked for help at the last minute. Well, why did he ask for help at the last minute? Uh, to get to borrow police officers from surrounding states to get it up to be around 3,000. Then he was turned down. Again, why is this happening at the last minute? Then apparently large numbers of Secret Service and others went in to help. I hope that's true because we're dealing with professional agitators that are infiltrating the crowd. And so you have professional agitators. You have the media... Uh, the professional agitators using propaganda and all kinds of techniques to incite violence. Black Lives Matter is, you know, its purpose is to incite violence. It incites racism. And you have a lot of groups that are designed to, to, to promote racism. And let's remember, America is not a perfect society by any means. We have racial problems. But until the last uh, eight years... Um, we were doing, you know, somewhat well on, on the race problem. We still had problems, but we've had an escalation of racial tension. And why is that? It's because it's being stirred up. People are benefiting. And, and when you read my books, it all goes back to what you were talking about in the first hour of the program. Saul Alinsky, uh, community organizer, um, <clears throat> manufactured crisis. And you, you deliberately get radical groups to agitate to cause a manufactured crisis or a manufactured uh, chaos through demonstrations, violence, or whatever. Uh, they deliberately agitate. They recruit. Uh, and then, you, then you, you see them spread. So, for example, it was, what, a week or two ago? And we saw demonstrations in, in like, what, 22, 34 cities across the United States. These were major demonstrations. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not the result of, of, of spontaneity. That's not just a bunch of Black Lives Matter people getting together and demonstrating. That's the, If you have 34 cities, mass demonstrations um, happening, and they're highly organized, 
that is the result of a highly organized organization that has set up the infrastructure for mass demonstrations across the United States months and months and months ago. And in the same way, you have cases of uh, where, where the police were accused of violence, and it turned out that they weren't guilty of the violence at all. And you had uh, uh, local authorities blocking the police, uh, which amplified the violence. So you have p people in high places in the United States that are try trying to incite racial violence because it enables them to divide and conquer. It gives them a pretext if things get crazy enough to declare martial law, which is dictatorship. And you have um, um, other uh, factors uh, stirring the pot uh, for agitation and, and the whole purpose is to create a crisis or problem reaction solutions so you create a problem deliberately designed to create a reaction so that you can create the solution which is a police state now the other thing which I'm very very concerned about is the historical precedent and the historical precedent is in totalitarian nations like uh, uh, communist Russia and communist nations and Nazi Germany all the totalitarian dictators always did away with the local police force, the state police force, the community police force. They all got rid of them and replaced them with a federal police force, whether it was Nazi Germany or the communist nations. And the reason they want to move from a state or community or city police force to a federal police force is that as a mechanism for totalitarianism and dictatorship. You, you then have a, a federal government-controlled army policing the people. And, and that is, a, is a, an end run to, to totalitarianism and a loss of freedoms. And that's really what we're facing here. Uh, yeah. all, the all the demonstrations we're seeing, there's an end game here. The end game is to destroy our Constitution and Bill of Rights and put in a totalitarian state. And we need we we need to remember the lessons of history. Absolutely. And you know the the historical examples that you just gave um, started out with, especially you know for one Nazi Germany, the Reichstag fire, uh, a false flag attack, and you know up till today we have nine eleven, which was. Uh, laid out the groundwork for the Patriot Act to be established, a almost carbon copy of the Enablers Act, which was what was established in Nazi Germany uh, after the Reichstag fire. And we have a president who is calling today for a federalized police department. And before and, and during his election uh, in 2008-2009, we saw that he called for a civilian police force equal to that of you know the local and state police forces today and what the uh, people need to understand about this is that the local police forces and sheriffs and the state police forces are um, supposed to be for the people and many of them are uh, I, I liked what Rudy Giuliani said at the Republican National Convention that when the police officer uh, is called to a situation he doesn't ask or care what you know race or or um, gender a person is he does their job they do their job and they go and save the person regardless of who they are or, or where they come from and they make no distinction but when you look at the historical examples of federalized police forces um, it is 
as you said, authoritarian and totalitarian uh, regimes that then in turn use those police forces to intimidate and and to commit genocide against citizens so often in all these examples. And we are following the model of history and could very easily end up in a position uh, where this happens in America. And many people even speculate that uh, we will see this happen in this country. Uh, And if we continue along the same line, with the racial divisions, especially, um, you know, there's an, there is racial division out there, but it is not nearly uh, as, as real as the media is hyping it up. Now, we do have the, the incidents with, with police and, and uh, especially the uh, black community. Um, at the same time, if you look at the statistics, more white people are killed by police than, than African Americans. Do you think that there should be uh, a retraining of officers that they need to um, go through some some kind of policy change. Um, what would be a, a proper solution? Because we know that the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is more political than anything, and as you said, it is backed by the likes of George Soros with uh, ads on on different social sites to pay fifteen dollars an hour for people to protest in these different cities. And um, when they, that gets infiltrated by agitators and people who are paid more to create violence there to um, to, to spawn this division further uh, I just don't see a way this ends well unless both sides come to an agreement uh, and are able to move forward from there but it does not look like that will be the case and for an example here in our uh, town yesterday a nine year old girl fell down uh, a cliff embankment into the, the lake, Lake Erie and two police officers, uh, you know, got out of their gear real quick instead of waiting for the Coast Guard and swam 60 feet uh, out into the lake and saved this young girl. We wow. never hear about those stories in, on the national scale, but every time somebody is, is shot, um, you know, unprovoked, as they say, or w- as it seems without provocation or during routine traffic stops, um, that gets put on every, you know, news outlet uh, from the east to west coast and every paper and publication, radio and TV show. Um, so I guess part of the problem is not only the media, um, you know, playing into that divide and conquer, uh, and, and racist ideology. And it, it's also them not covering the good things that police officers do, uh, at the same time. Um, well, what, I, what would I, you, I, I think what, the police officers are, uh, are doing a lot of good things and there's no coverage of it. And there are certain networks, not all of them, but there are certain networks which, man, you, you, you just get the feeling that they're doing everything they possibly can to fan the flames of racial hatred or to fan the flames of riots. They, they're inciting uh, racist emotions in both white people and African-American people. I mean, they're really inciting it. And uh, uh, I believe they're partially responsible. Now, on, on the other hand, I think... Um, um, there needs to be uh, increased training among uh, police because um, um, the reality is we live in a, in a, in a racially uh, heightened atmosphere. Um, I don't care what anybody says. You know, I thought about this a while. Uh, every single person, because every single person has a fallen human nature, has a certain percentage of racism. Uh, or, or tribalism or, or ethnic group uh, identification in them, even if it's subconscious. 
So when you have a heightened situation, uh, you know, deep down inside people's psychological being, because all men and women are sinners, there's a, a propensity to have racism or uh, a tribal type identity. So you take a heightened situation which involves guns and and uh, even if somebody's just innocently has a gun, a heightened situation. Um, I remember years ago the, the police were overreacting. Um, there's a psychological syndrome that when police are chasing somebody in, a, in one of these car chases that you see on TV with the, the news helicopter, what would happen often in California, probably in other places too, is when the police finally stopped a guy that they were involved in a hour car chase with, they would they would beat the, the, the daylights out of the person who they stopped and pulled out of the car, I mean brutally, but the psychologists gave them tests and realized the reason that the cops beat the people, you know, intensely is the adrenaline, the adrenaline high of, uh, of chasing somebody, you know, at 65 miles an hour on a freeway in a car chase for an hour or whatever. They're, they're, the, the adrenaline chemical was just skyrocketed in them. So they began to undergo uh, training with uh, psychologists who were specifically trained in the area of biofeedback or whatever, and they were taught how to, to self-regulate uh, and control their, their, their mental state so that they wouldn't get into this fight-and-flight syndrome with, with the hyperadrenaline. And it substantially, this was no new age stuff or whatever, it substantially reduced uh, the incidence of, of the police beating people after the adrenaline high. So there are all kinds of psychological factors. I mean, the cop is sitting there, he's got a wife and kids. The, 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 the person they've stopped, there's a number of things going on in their life. And, and, and you know, it, it, too often it escalates into a disaster. So there has to be not politically correct training, not uh, racial sensitivity training. There has to be an effective psychological training so that uh, the police have a much higher level of uh, awareness and training on how to deal with these situations. And I don't mean having them manipulated through political correctness. I think that that would help to some degree. But it's not going to go away with the, the media and uh, other agencies, uh, you know, accusing the police of, of violence. And uh, even when they're innocent, they get accused of violence. So I support the police. Uh, I don't support innocent people being shot. But that is a tiny percentage of what's going on. Um, uh, and that doesn't make what ha happened defensible. But... Um, I support the police, and I think we need to. Uh, uh, I think they need training in the manner I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some bogus politically correct training. I'm talking about being given psychological tools to to, to deal with incredibly stressful uh, situations. No, you're absolutely right, and um, it, it is just a, a shame to see the. Uh, level of of racial divide under our current president who promised that through his uh, administration and presidency that this would be an issue that he would help to um you know pour water on those fires and to make 
the bringing together of all uh, races uh, together in, in a good way, um, that he would unify the country regardless of, of race or class. Um, all that seemed to go out the window when he was elected, as my dad said, even since the, the beer summit that happened at the beginning of, of his presidency, he seemed to have, have handled all these um, issues and tragedies the wrong way, especially when, you know, after the Dallas police massacre, um, calling on police to admit their failures, um, instead of, you know, being there, at least in the, in the, first days you know supporting them he was actually you know doing the opposite saying well you guys need to change this and change that um and also i don't know maybe get your take on this uh in wake of the baton rouge shootings the white house was asked with uh, many local fire departments and by local police um station uh, police uh, municipalities to light the white house up in uh, the color of blue as showing respect for the the slain officers and local fire departments across the country were doing this and they refused to but if we look back and remember they lit the white house pink for the breast cancer awareness month they right. uh, after the same-sex marriage ruling they lit the white house up in in the rainbow uh, colors of the rainbow to celebrate the same-sex marriage supreme court ruling but they, you know, are refusing to do something as simple as lighting up the White House blue. Um, how much of the president's actions and remarks, uh, and also Hillary Clinton, do you think feeds into this uh, tension on the side of, of the citizens who think they're doing the right thing by, by going out and committing violent acts against police officers? Well, I, I think it's important to remember that... Uh, whether you're talking about one president like President Obama or Hillary Clinton or whatever, that you you have to it's easily it's easy to emotionally fixate on uh, a particular president or particular uh, political personality that uh, you disagree with and and uh, you become angry towards and not look at the big picture, which is like who is behind them because they are essentially puppets. And they are there at somebody's pleasure. And no matter how much you may dislike this candidate who's a Republican or this candidate that's a Democrat, the reality is is that that person is in office because of uh, a shadow government or a puppet master, if you will, that has put them in, in office. And they are doing uh, what somebody who's very powerful wants done. So we have to remember that when we're looking at Obama or Hillary or even uh, a Republican uh, a, a, a politician, why is that person in office? Who are who 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 whose policies and agendas are they really carrying out? Because I would suggest to you that the current president, uh, Hillary, or you can name any particular uh, Republican, that they, that they're not acting on their own. They're following the directives and the strategy of very, very powerful people that have put them in office. And so the real question is, who is it that is operating in America, that is funding political uh, campaigns on both sides of the fence? Who is it that's in control of our media that has the agenda uh, of apparently wanting to destroy uh, the local police or who has the agenda of wanting to create race riots? Because, from my observation, uh, that that uh, 
group is far more powerful than one politician, whether it's the president or, or whatever. There is somebody far more powerful who has an agenda, uh, I believe, to destroy the United States of America as a sovereign, independent nation. And they'll use uh, a variety of techniques, uh, race wars, uh, um, fighting between the police and the citizenry, whatever it takes to deconstruct and fragment America, manufactured crisis, new world order out of chaos. So I always re try to remember that. Whenever I'm looking at any situation, I try to look at the template uh, behind it, which is new world order out of chaos. And then in, in my books, I, I talk about this in detail because it's not the individual politicians. They, they are a problem, but the bigger problem is the, the powerful groups that they're working for that I believe have a specific agenda of destroying the United States of America as an independent sovereign nation and the goal is to merge it into a global government and they're just using race wars or the police thing or whatever they want to use as, as a mechanism to get there no I couldn't agree with you more and the the chaos will come if people continue to to feed into this uh this spirit of hate and i wonder you know um i wanted to ask you about cern if you have heard any updates on cern i've seen some very interesting videos and uh other people's um from pastors to scientists explanations on what has been happening at cern lately from uh, strange clouds swirling overhead to storms um, that look very strange uh, and the talk of you know the opening of dimensions and other dimensions and letting entities into our dimension and and the, there's also a strange connection with this Pokemon Go app which I don't know how much you know about that or, and we don't have to get into that um, have you heard anything along the uh, the CERN uh, topics? Yeah it's interesting you should bring that up because I talk about CERN in detail in the first book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, and then I talk about CERN in additional detail in the second book, A Prophecy of the Future of America 2016-2017. And the point that I want to bring out, which I discuss in both books, is that um, CERN, uh, I believe, uh, is a... Uh, as a technology designed to create uh, an interdimensional portal uh, or an opening into another dimension. So it's not just me saying that. If, if, if you actually read the quote of one of the CERN directors, so one of the CERN directors uh, himself said that uh, CERN will open an interdimensional portal that will allow for the uh, entrance of entities, okay? Now, that's the, the, the head of CERN saying that. So, um, as, you, as you recall, in my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, and A Prophecy of the Future of America 2016-2017, I kept using this uh, terminology uh, where I discussed what I'm convinced is, is a reality, that the Tower of Babel was an interdimensional portal and a stargate uh, built for the purpose of allowing in uh, 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 interdimensional entities or fallen angels. Now, I, I, I said that everywhere, and it's in my books, 
And every time I say it, if people are not familiar with my work, you know, I used to get this stunned reaction like, you know, you've got to be crazy. Well, I wrote that before the true purpose of CERN began to be discussed publicly. So what I said sounded, gee, especially among Christians, gee, he's really far-fetched. I mean, you know, he's talking about uh, the Tower of Babel being an interdimensional portal or a stargate. But, but, so people would look at me like he's really out there. But then uh, people are reading that the director of CERN is saying that the purpose of CERN is to be an interdimensional stargate uh, from which entities can come in. So all of a sudden, what I said about the Tower of Babel doesn't sound so far-fetched because it fits the description of CERN that they're reading about. And many people like yourself have seen the pictures uh, in the atmosphere around CERN. They've read the quotes. They've seen this... um, video on the internet of the Gothard Tunnel, the world's largest tunnel under Switzerland to celebrate the European Union. And the Gothard Tunnel has a giant all-seeing eye. It has, they're conducting a satanic ritual along with it. And then as I discuss in both books of A Prophecy of the Future of America, I talk about uh, the Manhattan Project and Robert Oppenheimer, the, the atomic physicist who is the father of the Manhattan Project, he made the decision for um, uh, the atomic bomb at the Bohemian Grove, and the statue that was at the atomic bomb uh, with Oppenheimer was of the goddess Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. Uh, and where the, uh, Oppenheimer quotes the, the, the uh, Vedic scriptures saying, I am Vishnu, the destroyer of worlds. So that uh, Hindu goddess, the destroyer of worlds, the same Hindu goddess is uh, at CERN headquarters. You see the yep. goddess Shiva, the destroyer of worlds. So um, I think what we're seeing is something that I've written about and people need to kind of like embrace, and that is when you go back to ancient Babylon, they did not make a distinction between the occult and technology. Occult and technology were one and the same. But now when we fast forward to uh, CERN and the, and the Hadron Collider, we see that occult and technology are now openly coming out being one and the same. This idea that the occult and technology or science uh, were separate areas is something that only emerged in the last two to three hundred years. Prior to that, uh, science and the occult and technology were considered one and the same. The Nazis understood this because the Nazis were able, as I wrote about in A Prophecy of the Future of America, the Nazis were 100 years ahead of the U.S. in the rocket program because they got their blueprints uh, for rockets and uh, UFO-type flying machines from clairvoyance, the Vrilya maidens who telepathically received information from another dimension on how to build rocket technology. Now, uh, the Nazis were actually working that stuff. So prior to the Nazis, we have Nikola Tesla, who opened up another dimension, um, the fourth dimension. This is before quantum physics. And Nikola Tesla accessed uh, free energy from another dimension 
Now that discovery and technology was crushed by certain industrialists, but the technology of Tesla was replicated by the Nazis, and the technology of Tesla, which is infinite energy from another dimension, along with intelligence and knowledge, is what they're doing at CERN. So if you take the Tower of Babel and its original technological occult intent, which is an interdimensional portal or stargate, if you take uh, Tesla and his interdimensional uh, portal, which access uh, uh, free energy, if you take the work of the Nazis, where they receive from another dimension blueprints and, and scientific information on how to build advanced rocketry that put them 100 years ahead of the U.S., and now if you take the CERN-Hadron Collider and the statement uh, of the director of CERN that they have created an interdimensional portal that allows for entrance from interdimensional entities, all of those things fit together in a puzzle piece. If you connect all of those dots, they're bringing into, into, into reality a vivid picture of an understanding of reality that really is is more biblical than the contemporary view that that what we know only exists in our physical dimensions. We're touching upon what's happening now. Really, is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Absolutely. What we're touching upon is the the reinvention of ancient occult technologies that existed before the flood and are coming back into being in our time, which fulfills the words of Jesus Christ where he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah, no, you make some, some fantastic points. And I saw an article yesterday or the day before about the UN and a scientist giving a speech on, on dark matter um, mm. there. And, and now, you know, ABC News... Uh, is today reporting that scientists looking for invisible dark matter can't find any um, but this is after they already announced that they had found something um, that was the dark matter they were looking for and uh, I, I know there is a lot more going on at, in CERN than we will ever know in this life and uh, when we are in heaven uh, the Lord will reveal to us exactly what you know what happened, how it happened, and why it happened, and what were the causes of these things. But um, and back to the Pokemon Go, and, and the reason I want to get into this is because I've seen, for, at first I, I kind of you know, read a little bit about it, kept it on the back burner, saved a few articles, but what was interesting to me were a few things. One was the um, the amount of people playing this game, and me personally witnessing the people playing this game in my own neighborhood to the point where I actually saw a few the Saturday after I had surgery so about two weeks ago this Saturday um, it was in the early in the morning uh, about 8 o'clock in the morning I saw a, a young uh, boy maybe 13 years old with an older man run out of my backyard with their phones looking at their phones and this was right around the time I learned about this Pokemon Go so I, you know, didn't think too much of it, but then I read a lot of um, stories and the terms of agreement for the Pokemon Go, and it talks about you know the possibility of what Google Maps hasn't charted through the Pokemon Go app, 
and people using their phones to go into these different areas uh, where Google Maps can't go, that it is mapping the rest of the country um, in a way that has not been done before. Uh, but also there have been a number of crazy uh, injuries and, and careless fatalities from people walking into traffic, walking off of cliffs, uh, getting into car accidents. One young man rammed his car into a police station while playing this game. But the connection between CERN and Pokemon that I heard, uh, which I can't verify or have not been able to verify and don't know if we ever will, but that that they are actually running they are actually running around catching demons through this through these apps. Um, and you know, when faced with that question, is that true? I I kind of draw a blank. You know, is it possible? I guess would be my question. Um, well, that we see these technologies being used in, in harmless games, it would seem to uh, be involved in in the you know demon activity. Well, I think um, two 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 things uh, are happening in our lifetime. And one is in relationship to demon activity. So it's possible. I mean, I can't speak specifically of Pokemon Go, but I mean, it's possible. Um, but the other thing is that as we move into the last days, there's numerous technologies that are being invented uh, and scientific discoveries that are changing reality. Now, I know I've said this on your show before, but, but it, it bears... Uh, re repeating very quickly uh, the technocratic elite which is the scientific elite they're the invisible elite that are ruling our world and when you break down the term technocratic elite comes from techni which means technology and then you break it down further and techni means wicca or witchcraft and if you break it down further techni means reconfiguring reality so you have to understand wow. that when you go back to ancient Babylon or Atlantis, uh, or the uh, civilization that existed on Mount Hermon when the fallen angels descended upon Mount Hermon. Um, the, 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 the interfacing of other dimensions and other realities uh, was uh, common. So if you study the Bible carefully, you'll see, if you look for it, um, examples of interdimensional portals through, or, or entrances or doorways uh, into other dimensions throughout the scripture. So the Tower of Babel would be one. Or Jacob's Ladder. Now that whole mm -hmm. uh, story of Jacob's Ladder uh, has to do with an open heaven and a portal into heaven. That's what the, that's what the uh, ladder represents. The, the, the going in into heaven and, and the coming down. It's an inter interdimensional portal. Uh, you have uh, Elijah's servant. It says, Behold, the hills are filled with chariots of fire, and his eyes are open to, to a, 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 you know, angelic armies and chariots on fire all around him. He's able to see, but they were in another dimension all around him the entire time. It's just that he was given the ability to see what was going on in another dimension all around him. And then you have countless other uh, uh, places in the Bible where it refers to these interdimensional portals. And then Christ himself um, goes up into heaven. So, for example, uh, and I talk about this in the Prophecy of the Future of America 2016-2017, 
In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, we read about how Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. And I just want to read you the passage. It's short. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in a like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So, he's going up in a cloud of glory. He's going from one dimension into another through a cloud of glory. And then we read uh, numerous other places where, where similar things happen, in both with God and the angelic realm, but also beings coming out of the abyss in Revelation and the demonic realm. So, the Bible, far, far from being some archaic, antiquated book, if you read it carefully, there's uh, uh, continual references to interdimensional portals and beings coming in from one dimension to another, both good and evil. However, it isn't until the last days, which we're in, where all of this has now begun to accelerate. And back to your statement about technology capturing demons or the work of the CERN Collider, it is possible, and this is purely theoretical on my, uh, on my standpoint. I'm not saying it's a reality. This is purely a theoretical, speculative statement on, on my part. It is possible that because of the experimentation among scientists and technology in our world today, that because technology has opened numerous portals that perhaps God did not want opened, that mankind, kind of like what we did in the, in the Garden of Eden, we've cracked a, a doorway open into another dimension, uh, which is allowing for the entrance of demons and other beings that are not supposed to be here. Uh, but if we read further on in the book of Revelation about the creatures coming out of the abyss, we may have triggered the beginnings of the creatures that are coming out of the abyss in the book of Revelation which will culminate in Armageddon where they're defeated and they're sent back into that abyss and the doorway is sealed. But we may have, this is speculative on my part, used our technology in the way that Adam and Eve disobeyed God through their sin. We may have cracked open a door in another dimension uh, in a way that God did not want to happen. But God may have allowed it to happen because it fits into his end times program in the book of Revelation. I don't know, but we're, we're, we're tampering with technology that is far more powerful than I think we realize. Absolutely, and the potential for if there is the ability to uh, open doors in dimensions, the uh, what is unknown that could, you know, break through, um, you know, is, is more dangerous to me than the thought of when CERN started that if uh, they created a black hole that it could envelop the whole Earth. Uh, right. That would be a better outcome than unleashing a world of, uh, you know, spiritual demons onto this planet. Paul, we only have about five minutes left in the broadcast. I want to give you this five minutes for anything we haven't covered um, or anything that you'd like to talk about uh, that's important to you before we end the broadcast. Well, sure, I appreciate it. Um, first of all, in, in the books that I write, like A Prophecy of the Future of America, the first one and second one, 
and the rest of the material that I deal with and what I share on your show and at conferences and on a lot of free stuff is I'm trying to communicate a message. I'm trying to deal with the things that you're talking about, but I don't want people to come away from it feeling anxious and, uh, uh, you know, afraid or terrified mm -hmm. because the, the, what I'm constantly trying to drive home is the message that God knew that we were going to be here before the beginning of time. Therefore, the fact that we're here, and that includes everybody in your audience, is by the design of God, and he designed it outside of space and time. So he pre-planned for us to be here before the beginning of time. But I don't want to leave this part out. So he already has put in us the spiritual gifts and the spiritual power that we need to be victorious in facing every single situation that we discussed. So my encouragement to, to, to your listeners is, is that whether it's the technology of Pokemon or the technology of CERN or the racial wars or whatever it is, whatever challenge uh, we, we are engaged in, we have to always remember that God chose us before the beginning of time to be here for such a time as this and that he has uniquely equipped us with the supernatural intelligence, the supernatural gifts and talents and abilities to deal with everything we've discussed. If we took every negative thing item by item that we've discussed tonight, we have been given the supernatural ability to deal with every one of those items victoriously. And my ministry is devoted to teaching people how to access by faith the power that God has already given us. Uh, because I find a lot of God's people, you know, they, they, they absorb this information and then they go into a state of paralysis. And I'm trying to share with them from God's word. Look, God didn't create, create you to be paralyzed. He has given you power so far beyond what you are able to uh, understand intellectually. But you've got to access it. And if you access it, we can be triumphant over all the battle, spiritual battlefield areas that we discussed. And ultimately, when it comes to Bible prophecy or our lives, you know, God didn't call us to be spectators about what's going on in America or anyplace else. We're supposed to be participants with God in the end times, which means um, we each have a, a role to play. We each have a position to play uh, in everything we discussed, whether it's race warfare or whatever, whether we're simply praying or sharing our faith or being knowledgeable. You know, we're, we all have a position to play. So the emphasis is on the positive, and the positive comes from faith in God's Word and His end times prophetic plan. I do not want to be guilty of teaching some kind of fatalistic message of Bible prophecy where people just cringe in fear. Uh, I believe God wants His people to be victorious in the last days. So hopefully I've su succeeded in sharing that message and they can visit the website for more information at paulmcguire.us. No, Paul, you've done a fantastic job tonight. We've covered uh, a whole <laughs> number of issues yeah, right. all over the, the, the spectrum, all over the globe, from the terror attacks in France to right. the RNC to the uh, church to the, what's happening with the police officers to the globalism to the Hillary Clinton potential presidency and the damages to populism. And I just want to thank you so much for your time, folks. Visit paulmcguire.us and bookmark his website 
from there, go down and scroll down and check out the different avenues that you can find his show, The Paul McGuire Report, which uh, in talking with Paul, it's very exciting what he is is doing. He's bringing a a different type of perspective and and delivery to um, his message, uh, a more spiritual and and, uh, biblically based message that he's bringing you. So tune in to teachings from Paul McGuire each and every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't listen live, I urge everybody to subscribe to his podcast or the RSS feed where you can download the episodes each and every day and listen to them for, um, you know, your continued walk with the Lord and using the insights that, that Paul lays out so uh, articulately to help you. And get his book, A Prophecy of the Future of America 2016-2017. Send him an email. Let him know what you think about his show, about his book, and about uh, what he's been doing, working so hard uh, amongst the body of believers to, to help people understand what is happening in the last days. Paul, I want to say thank you and God bless you. I know we'll be talking again soon. And um, I'm going to subscribe to your podcast and, and catch up on those episodes. Uh, you keep you, up Joe. the good work. God bless your uh, father. Tell him I said hi. Will do, Paul. God bless you, too, and thanks for your time tonight. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. We'll be back tomorrow, uh, me and my dad, and it'll be a, a great show, followed by next week, uh, Steve Quayle and Dave Hodges will be joining us, uh, among other things we got going on. So till then, stay safe. God bless. This is the Global Star Radio Network.